Let's get down to the scriptures tonight. Second Peter chapter 3, please. The second epistle of Peter chapter 3. Beginning to read at verse 1. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that we may be mindful of the words which were spoken before of the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. But as long suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be? in all holy conversation and godliness. Looking for and hissing unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we according to his promise look for a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye be found of him in peace without spot and blame us and account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation even as our brother Paul also according to the wisdom given unto him hath written as also in all his epistles speaking in in them of these things in which are some things hard to be understood which they that are unlearned and unstable rest as they do also in other scriptures unto their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. Pastor Glenn was on the steadfastness this morning. Verse 18, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you have brought such a company out this evening again under the sound of your word. 
and to worship you through your Son, the Lord Jesus. We pray now, Father, that thy Spirit would move upon every heart, Lord. And Lord, that you would speak and touch and help and heal and deal with our hearts as you deem it fit to do. We pray, Father, where this night be over, maybe one has come in unsaved and not ready for the coming off the Lord Jesus. We pray that you would speak to that soul, to that mind and heart, and that Christ would be glorified tonight in the saving of the soul. So, Father, we pray that you would settle us in your presence and settle us in our seats, and that Christ alone would receive the glory. Remember those who we've prayed for who are, uh, Lord, uh, ill and in bereavement tonight that aren't with us. We pray also, Lord, for Amanda and her aunt who's uh, grievously ill also tonight, Lord. And we ask you, Lord, as these others are all in hospital or wherever they may be with their loved ones, that you would meet them at the point of their need and give them their portion. And so, Father, we ask it all in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. There's a little line in our reading tonight. And if you look at verse 4, it says, Where is the promise of his coming? Scoffers are saying, Where is this Christ you say will come? Scoffers walking after their own lusts, the lusts of their own heart and mind, are saying, well, where is the promise of his coming? And I want to say at the outset of this, this message isn't written because of what happened just 24 or 36 hours ago or so. This was written beforehand, and if you remember last Sunday night, I said I felt led to preach on the second coming of the Lord Jesus tonight. And hence, this isn't in relation to this, but it is related to other things like that. In Second Peter chapter 1, in the first couple of verses, notice what Peter says. It says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, notice, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Notice here he mentions something. He mentions precious promises. The precious promises. And in our reading this evening in Second Peter 3 and 4, the scoffers are saying, where is the promise of his coming? Really, there are many promises of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But what they're saying is, where is the fulfillment of his promise? I hear it, you speak it, preach it, and teach it, but will he ever come? What saith the Scriptures, brothers and sisters? Well, Peter directs them uh, of his day and directs us of our day to look to the prophets in the Old Covenant of the Old Testament and to listen to the apostles in the New Testament. For example, some of the promises to our soul, to those who are unsaved, and to the believer walking and serving Christ. We all know John chapter 3 and verse 16. It's a promise of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, 
but have everlasting life. There's a promise to you that if you trust in Christ, then you will have everlasting life. And then there is the promise of Hebrews 13 and 5, where it is given to us as we walk this this walk with Christ and we traverse our years with him. And the Lord Jesus through uh, the Hebrew writer says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Now that's a promise that whatever and wherever we find ourselves, that the Lord Jesus has promised to be with us always. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Remember back to front, it is still the same. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Thee forsake, nor thee leave, never will I. So whatever way you look at it, he has given us a promise as believers that he will never leave us. And then there's a promise of Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 6. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. You don't know what to do and what way to turn or where to go. Well, acknowledge God. Acknowledge Christ in all your ways and he will direct your paths. That's a promise. To those of us who are walking with him, know him as Savior. And bear with me for in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, there's another promise. For the wages of sin is death. That's a promise. It's different, isn't it? We forget that's a promise. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's a promise. That if you put your trust in him, then the gift will come to you of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In Isaiah 40 and verse 31, one of the most positive verses in all of Holy Writ. That they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. There's a promise for you. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. And if you were to take this on board and believe in this, God says it's not waiting, sitting, and just saying, well, I'm doing nothing until the Lord comes to answer. It gives the idea of intertwining, like three cords being made into a rope and a cord which cannot be broken. That's the idea of it here. And they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. It's all the shalls in this, and it's a promise. And so as the In Peter's epistle here, uh, the Christian Israelite, that is the Israelites who were now in faith from Peter's day right to you and I today. God's promises are to them as they are to you and I. And they are precious promises according to Peter. And so in our reading, he, 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 he tells them and they are and we are advised, we are encouraged and we are even admonished to remember these things so that they would help us and strengthen us in our faith and to keep us walking with God as they are in a very and as we are in a very difficult time and discouragement is never too far away from the believer. Discouragement is never too far away from you, from your life, from your home and your family. And hence, these promises are to say, look, if you trust in Christ, you will be saved. But when you trust in Christ and walk with him, then he will strengthen you. He will not leave you. He will be with you. And you possess that great seed of eternal life. And you are Christ's forever. 
And hence in Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3, and in verse 1, please. 2 Peter chapter 3, and verse 1. Notice what he says, this second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you in both which, notice, I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. He's saying your your sanctified mind, believer, Christian, your sanctified mind, according to the word of God and in the spirit of God and the anointing of God, your sanctified mind, he says, stir up. Stir up these things in you. It's time to stir up the gift. Time to stir up the things that God has given you and put within you. And here he says, stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. And verse 2 he says, that you may be mindful. Notice, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us the apostles of the Lord and Savior. And, ho- and so he's now he's saying to them, as he says to us, look back to the Old Testament, the holy prophets. The same spirit which rested upon the prophets in the Old Testament, the same Holy Spirit which moved on likes of David and Isaiah and Jeremiah, even Elijah and Elisha and Daniel, and we can go on. He says it's the same Holy Spirit which was poured out at the day of Pentecost upon the church upon the apostles of the Lamb. And notice what he says, look back to the holy apostles, or pardon me, prophets, and us the apostles. So what saith the scriptures about some of these promises of God? And I am bringing you somewhere. Well, if you want to look at uh, Revelation chapter 18, please. Revelation chapter 18. Some people tend to think that once we get into the New Testament, the, the prophets are no longer mentioned. That the prophets are forgotten about and left in the old covenant and the prophets have no more bearing on the word. But that's not true. Now in Revelation 18, it is the fall of Babylon. When we say Babylon, we're not talking about the city Babylon. It's fell, it has fallen years gone by in the past. But this Babylon is that which came from the city, ancient Babylon. And of course, there is a tripart city, we're told. This city of three parts, a great city. And the city is made up of these three parts. It is political Babylon. Political Babylon. Economical Babylon. And of course, ecclesiastical Babylon. The mystery religions of Babylon, and they envelop, as it were, the whole world. They're everywhere we look. All sorts of religious ecumenicalism and debt usury of of the high interests that are being uh, paid out and bringing people, subjecting them to slavery. Do we realize that tonight? That we are actually subject to slavery by the debt usury system? That you and I are going along and working all most of our life, and now they're talking about you know, your, your retirement it should be around 70 years of age, gentlemen. A whole lot of us maybe not reach there if we don't get some sort of retirement. You're talking about digitalizing the, 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 the monetary system. Do you know why? Because then they can track you, they can trace you, 
They'll know everything you buy, everything you do, everywhere you go, every place, point, and time. They will know all about it. And you'll go to buy your big steak some night, and you'll go to pay in your digital system, and you know what's going to happen? They'll say, sorry, sir, we can't accept that manner of payment. And you'll say, why? Say, because according to this, you've already had a steak last week. This is how ridiculous it's going to be. You'll fill up your car. Well, if there is any electric left at this point, or sorry, diesel left, you'll fill up your car and they'll say, sorry, no diesel or petrol for you. You say, why not? And they'll say, well, because you've used your quota. And you'll go to take your car to the other side of the city and say, sorry, you can't drive there. And you'll say, why not? They'll say, because this is a 15-minute city and you can only go 15 minutes in your car. Slavery. And then debt usury. Slavery. And one worldism of ecumenism bringing you into religious slavery and bondage. And so this is Revelation 18 is the great fall of this Babylonian system which we all live in, which we're all under. And just for time's sake, let your eye run down to verse 20. I would advise you to read the chapter and even the one before when you get a chance. Let your eye run down to verse 20. Now notice the words, Rejoice over her, thy heaven, and ye holy apostles and prophets. See, the prophets are here. For God hath avenged you on her. These are the prophets that prophesied in the days of from Nimrod right the whole way through Babylon. These are the prophets that called out the religious apostasy. These are the prophets that called out about all the idol worship. And all of these prophets that were either slain, Jesus says the prophets came and you had, you've slew them to the Jews. He says, this is what you've done. And now you're going to put me to the cross. And here in Revelation 18, heaven is told to rejoice. And let me just pause for one second here. Heaven is told to rejoice. The apostles and the prophets are to rejoice. What a contrast to when Jesus says that there's joy with the angels of heaven over one sinner that repents. What a contrast when in heaven they're going to rejoice at the fall of this world's system. But here's the thing. People, people like you and I, even in the world's system, will say, oh, but jobs will go and, and, and you know, this is going to happen. And what about our monetary system? And, and what, Listen, all of this is going to crush it's going to be smashed to pieces when Jesus comes. But while we're in here, I seen one time that someone, uh, there was a certain pub that was known for the drugs and a Christian went, praise God, it was closed down. And Christians come on and says, how dare you say that? Sure, there's people who have jobs in it. They're in that world system. But I would that every pub and bar would close down. For I know what it does to you. Heaven is saying, when the monetary system is demolished, heaven is saying, whenever 
the political systems don't know what to do anymore and come tumbling down. Listen, the European Union's going to come tumbling down. The WEF is going to come tumbling down. The WHO is going to be smashed to smithereens. The United Nations is going to come tumbling down. It's all going to fall because the stone kingdom of Christ will come in its fullness. When Jesus comes, he's going to rack and ruin the whole lot of them. And heaven is told to rejoice. And people today, Christians, go, that's not very Christ-like of you, Ken. That's not very Christ-like. Well, let me tell you, brothers and sisters, here's the word of God. And they're told, rejoice that she has fallen. Rejoice that this has fallen to bits and to smithereens. Notice what it says in verse 21. The mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and cast it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence shall the great city Babylon be thrown down and shall be found no more at all. Now, brothers and sisters, I want you to see something. Shall be found no more at all. This is is the complete and final destruction. Remember, this isn't the literal city from years ago. This is the Babylon that is in New York and London and Washington and Rome. This is the Babylon of apostasy. This is the Babylon of Antichrist spirit and the nations that is, that, that is loving it so much. This is the Babylon that's taking our children and teaching them all manner of filth. This Babylon is going to Christ and fall. And it says here it will be no more. It's going to finish. And you and I should rejoice with heaven. Will you be glad to see the end of the sin and degradation and depravity that's in this world? Would you rejoice with heaven or will you be the reserved Christian to say, don't say too much now because you know, I'm afraid of people not liking me anymore. Listen, we're not in this business to be liked. We're in here to bring the word of God. Christ is returning. And Christ will come again with vengeance. And so here, the, 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 it says, with violence shall the great city be thrown down because there's a great millstone thrown, thrown into. Notice, into the sea. We'll not turn to it tonight for time's sake, but in in Jeremiah 51, verses 61 to 64, you get a chance to read about it. And and Judah, the southern kingdom of Judah, is about to be carried into captivity, into literal ancient Babylon. Literal ancient Babylon. And we read there, when they're there, we read of Daniel and the land's den and so on, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace and all of those things. And this is what it says. It says that there's to be a, a stone is to be taken and thrown into the midst of the river Euphrates. And this was symbolic of localized Babylon's destruction. And the Lord says, after 70 years, I'll call you out. And Babylon was destroyed in the sense that the, the Medo-Persians then take over. Read Daniel chapter 5. The Medo-Persians come. And then Alexander the Great comes and so on. Then the Romans come and so forth. 
and it's destroyed. And so the stone into the river, Euphrates says, this is a completely, this is the judgment's final. But in Revelation 2, if you want, the global, so one is localism, localized, pardon me, Babylon. But this one is globalized, in other words, globalism. The whole globalized movement. There's a great stone, as it were, thrown into the sea. Now, in the book of Revelation, in many times, the sea doesn't mean the sea. The sea is people. The sea means people. Great sea, we talk, there's a whole sea of people. That's what it means in many places in the book of Revelation. And there's going to be some sort of a great millstone, not literally now. It's going to be Christ, as it were, into Babylon. In other words, the Lord's going to send something so great and so powerful and so mighty. Everything's going to start to teeter. And Christ comes, the great stone kingdom will come and smash it all to pieces. And if you want to read more about that, read Daniel chapter 2, Daniel 4, and you'll read more about that. Notice here, if you will, in Revelation 18 and verse 24, and in her, Babylon, globalism, from localized to globalism, and in her was found the blood of the prophets, and of the saints, and of all that were slain upon the earth. So I think of all those prophets. I think of Israel in the Old Testament. I think of all those things in Judah. I think of all the blood that was shed. And then I think of right through, right up until uh, the Reformation and the blood that was shed, the early church of the Reformation, and the blood that was shed. And that's ecclesiastical Roman Babylon, shedding the blood of the saints of the Lord Jesus Christ and of the Lamb. And I think of all of this, and the Lord says, I am looking, and behold, I see the blood that was shed. Christ sees the blood of the innocent shed in our nation tonight. Christ sees the blood of the, the innocent and the womb shed. From the womb to the tomb, the Lord sees it. When we go on, and we'll, uh, I'll just skip over these for time's sake. It's Revelation 21 and 4 talks of the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. You know, uh, uh, these walls are uh, really, this is given the idea of the redeemed or the ecclesia, the ecclesia of the Lord, uh, the, the redeemed church of God. And notice here, if you will, in Ephesians 2, and you can read verses 19 to 22, but listen to verse 20 just for time's sake. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. This is uh, the ecclesia, the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles. Then it goes back into the Old Testament of the prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And I know there's many Christians that don't like to read the Old Testament. They say they're New Testament Christians. Well, I'm a Old Testament Christian. I like to read from Genesis to Revelation. I believe all of it is the divine and inspired word of God. They're going right back to the apostles here. Right back into the prophets. 
And so in our reading, 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, please. Verses 1 and 2, we have the words which were spoken. They would be mindful they are to remember the holy prophets and of the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord. Here's what I want to do. I want to show you a couple of things to show you some of these things coming to pass that will, God willing, increase your faith that you will say, yes, Lord, we believe. We know that you said you'd come the first time and you did. And we believe you're coming again. For example, in Genesis 3 and verse 15, the very first prophecy of the coming of Christ, the Lord speaks to the serpent at the Garden of Eden after the fall of Adam and Eve. And he says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, that is, Christ shall bruise the serpent's head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. All right from the book of Genesis. Listen to Exodus 23, verses 20 and 21, a prophecy from Moses. Behold, I will send an angel before thee to keep thee in the way and to bring thee into the place which I have prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice. Provoke him not, for he will not pardon your transgressions. Notice what Jehovah says, for my name is in him. He says, I'm going to send an angel. Now the angel, in your, your, your text is in a capital A. It doesn't mean a created being here. It is a theophany, a pre-Bethlehem, if you want, appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a theophany. The capital A means the angel of the Lord or this appearance of Almighty God. A theophany it's called. So it's not a created angel nor is he a created being. And he says, he won't forgive you your sins. Yet the Lord Jesus came to forgive us our sins. Think about this now. You know why? Because it was still in the old covenant. It was when the fullness of time was come. God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem those that were under the law. And the fullness of time had not come. The one, this angel, as it were, this theophany, this appearance, visible expression of God to Israel, this capital A, the Lord Jesus Christ. This one, he says, my name is in him. So you obey him. My name is in him. So basically, don't you do any harm or think of it to him. And yet he gave him to die for us. Yet he came to him to die for us on the cross when he took on a body of flesh. This one is the, this is the logos of God. This is, this is the, the word of God which was with God and is God. This is the one who was with the Father from the very beginning of time or before into eternity. He says, and my name is in him. Now when the word is made flesh in John 1 and dwelt among us, the Lord Jesus, Jesus, the precious son of God. Listen to what he says of himself in John 5 and 43. He says, I am come in my father's name. I am come in my father's name. See, he's very God of very God and he's a man of very man. He says, I'm coming my father's name. I'm coming the authoritative word of my father. And even in his own name, Jesus means Jehovah saves. Or Yeshua, if you want. Yeshua means Yah, 
Yahweh, Jehovah, salvation. And the Lord says, my name is in him. And then when the time is ready, sent him to be born of a virgin into the body of flesh. A body thou hast prepared of me, he says. He says, you've prepared for me a body. And it was promised, it was told, and he came. He came. And came into a world of sin and shame and darkness. The prophets prophesied that he would come. And he did. They prophesied of his death and his dying. And he did. And he did. For example, in Psalm 22, it's known as the Psalm of the Cross. In Psalm 22, the first line is, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And the spirit of prophecy through David carries it right to Calvary's tree. In the lines of the Lord Jesus Christ, for example, in Mark 15, verse 34, he says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? For example, in Psalm 22, verses 15 and 16, the psalmist is given, as it were, a visible look at the very cross itself, maybe even through the very pains of David, the Spirit showed him through the spirit of prophecy, which is the testimony of Jesus. He shows him the Christ of God on the cross, the beautiful Son, eternally he who is with the Father. In Psalm 22, verse 15 and 16, verse 15 says, My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cleaveth to my jaws. Think of him on the cross. Calvary. My tongue eh? cleaveth to my jaws. And thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have encompassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. You know what he's speaking about? He didn't even know it at this time. David didn't know it at this time. The dogs were the, the Roman soldiers. Dogs. I've got around me. The assembly of the wicked were the Jews who cried for his death. The spirit of prophecy says, this is the assembly of the wicked. Jesus says, you're off your father the devil to them. So did John the Baptist. For dogs have encompassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. Listen, they pierce my hands and my feet. What is it, a thousand years nearly before it happens? We're told a crucifixion, they only pierced the hands at this time in David's day. They didn't pierce the feet. But the spirit of prophecy shows them at them. prophesied he would come they prophesied pardon me that he would come and he did they prophesied he would die and he did and so will you turn to me with me please to first peter first peter chapter one and verse 10 so the prophets are prophesying of him coming Verse 10, chapter 1, verse 10. 
of which salvation the prophets inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, says Peter. In other words, the prophets prophesied but couldn't fully understand it, couldn't fully see it. They knew that this one, the Messiah, was to come. But you and I are living in it. You and I have received it. Peter's even saying here to the strangers, these were Israelites scattered abroad. He's saying to them, he says, you have come to faith in Christ. And like those and like you and I tonight, we live on this side of the cross looking back at all that he's accomplished and all that he's done for us. And we can say, yes, they said he would come and he did. They prophesied that he would die and he has. He has. So why did I bring you down that route? Because if they have prophesied before and it has come to pass, then the scriptures tell us through the the prophets and the apostles that Jesus is coming again. Then he will. Then he will. Second Peter three, our reading, please. Verse three. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts. Notice, scoffers walking after their own lusts in the last days. Now, I want to put something out there because I've I know different people with different theological viewpoints and different things, and there are those who are preterists, and they say, these last days finished in A.D. 70 when Titus went into Jerusalem and sacked Jerusalem. Well, that was maybe the last day of the, of the age of the, of, of the temple. But it's not the last day. We're living in days or else we've missed something. It's not the last day. And then there are those who say, well, the last day is finished in Nero's day. Partial preterists. So all the history means really nothing, and we're just waiting. We're dangling like a carrot. Brothers and sisters, I believe that the last days are to the coming of the Lord Jesus again. They have to be. It has to be. Because if the last days have already happened, we have missed something. Notice what Peter says, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts. I want to look at the last days for a minute. Hebrews 1, chapter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 says, God who at sundry times and divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed her of all things, by whom also he made the world. So the last days started when this one who was, who was God came became flesh. It started there. He finished at 80, 70 or in Nero's day. It doesn't tell us that anywhere. And if so be, then this word, how can we say it's for us? Because the last days are over. They're gone. 
Then there are those that everything's away in the future, futurists you call them. We hear in the tabernacle or historius pre-mill. And if you know what that is, you know what it is. And if you don't know what it is, then you may wait and I'll tell you some other time. And we believe in the unfolding of Scripture and history the whole way through. And we can see it right up to this day, waiting on the Lord coming to set up his millennial kingdom. Notice this, if you will. In Acts 2 and 17, it says, It shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. This is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, last days again. So, the last few days, or 36 hours, whatever it is now, it's been all over the place. I want, I want you to try and understand where I'm coming from here. All over Facebook, as I stand with Israel and pray for Israel and pray for the peace of Israel and all this sort of stuff, and, and look, and look, and that, that's okay. But brothers and sisters, there's a concern of mine is this. What about those who are saved and are Palestinian? Are you praying for them, your brothers and sisters in Christ? Because hell is about to be unleashed upon them. Did you ever think like that? They're your brothers and sisters in Christ. Are you praying for them? Something just to take note. This is just a little bit of interest. So yesterday morning, I think it was at 6.30 it happened, and was it so many thousand? I've read reports from three to 5,000 rockets were fired over uh, towards the Israelis and the Israeli state. And I, I mean, it's horrible. It, it's, it, it's, I'm told that there was not just taking away people, but there was massacres that happened. Horrible. So there's, it's, there's, it's just goes to, it just goes to, if someone comes to our country to do that, well, we would retaliate. The right to retaliate. But here's something of interest for you. And it's strange, or is it? This attack took place on one of the most holy days that the Jews hold in their calendar year, Yom Kippur. I want you to stay with me, Yom Kippur. On the 6th of October, they would be moving into that day from the sun down, moving into Yom, the final holiest day. Hence, when the sun goes down, 6.30 in the morning, they start coming up. This is their just coming out, if you want. If my calculations are right out of the Yom Kippur, their highest day of the year, if you want. And Yom Kippur is when they put away sin there. They, they come into repentance and they're trying to be, as it were, bring themselves into reconciliation with God. Brothers and sisters, you see, this is the year 2023. And the Yom Kippur War was exactly 50 years ago. 
exactly 50 years ago to the day. And the Yom Kippur War, I'm doing doing the figures in my head, so bear with me here. The Yom Kippur War was in 1973, on the 6th of October, as the sun goes down. Syria and Egypt, with other Arab nations, gather around the land of Israel, or the, the Israeli state. And hence the war ensues. Now, from then till 36 hours ago is exactly 50 years. 50 is the number of jubilee in the scriptures. But there's something wrong here. Why did all of that happen? All of those, I think it's three to 500 Jews or Israelis are are dead, and I think it's about three or four hundred Palestinians are dead at the moment. Why did that happen if it's, a, it's, it's, if it's on calendar a year of jubilee? Well, I'm going to give you my thought, and you can disagree with me if you want. You can disagree if you want. You can be wrong if you want to, like, but you can disagree with me. <laughs> I'm joking. God has given them 50 years to turn the Messiah from the last war. And this is the first time since the last one that the the Israeli Knesset, the government, has uh, declared an official war, war's footing. It's the first time. When I'm, this is the way my mind works. And when I'm putting all these things together in my head and seeing them all, 50 years, Jubilee, 50 years from the last one. 50 years to repent and turn to Messiah, to Christ. 50 years has passed from the last war. Now they're on from 50 years, another war footing since the last one. Funny, isn't it? War here, 50 years, another one here. Jubilee should be rejoicing. But they're not. They're in mourning. And they're trying to get rid of their sin. Tramathar works to get rid of their sin. The scriptures tells me there's one sacrifice for sins forever. One sacrifice for sins forever. And that's the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Fifty years to turn to him. Now I have it, I've seen it different people on, on social media and there's a hype really going up high at the minute. You know, this is it, Armageddon and all. Listen, this has been happening for a hundred years or more, but this especially, it can just fizzle out again. And listen, it might be. I don't know. You don't know. I'm told that this Wednesday coming, Russia and the United States, Russia and the United States this Wednesday are doing um, a national emergency uh, drill across each country. This Wednesday coming. I wonder what that's about. And here's the way, this is the way my mind thinks again. You ready? In the 1st of January 1973, the United Kingdom was officially brought in as part of the European Union. 
officially brought in as part of the European Union. This was supposed to be our jubilee. Year of release. Away from the servitude. Away from the plowing the billions into them. Away from them telling us what to do. Their courts and their laws telling us what to do. Away from this Babylon telling us what to do. This system of ecumenism telling us what to do. Fifty years the same. 2023. From 1973 to 2023. And still Northern Ireland is still left behind. And you watch what God does. You watch this space. But that's just by the way. The Lord is returning, and I must wrap this up soon. Peter says that there are scoffers walking after their own lusts, and we know that, we see that today. Believer, every time, let this help you, let this encourage you. Every time a person mocks or scoffs at the gospel, every time a person mocks or scoffs when you talk about the Lord Jesus and his coming or his cross and his blood and his finished work in Calvary, every time a scoffer comes to you and they try to bring you down and make you feel like no height at all, every time a scoffer comes or a mocker comes to the, against the gospel, against you and all that you stand for, let it encourage you. You know why? For the word says that in the last days, scoffers shall come. And you say, Lord, you're fulfilling your word in their mouth. That person in your workplace, that person in your college, that one in your school, that neighbor or one in your family that mocks at you, you say, Lord, thank you, Jesus. Your word is still true. There's still mockers and scoffers. We're in the last days, but it says you're coming again. Brothers and sisters, we need, we need to keep our eyes on Christ. Scoffers and mockers have an intellectual problem with the Word of God. Their mind thinks it. They think too much. Scoffers and mockers have an intellectual problem with the Word of God, but they have a moral problem according to the Word of God. They say all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Is that right? Is that right? Yet they're telling us today, for years they've been saying the ice caps are melting. It's not the same. Everything remains the same. Is that right? Yet they're telling us today that there's climate change. Everything's the same. Mocking and scoffing. Hi, he's not here yet. When we were doing the mission, somebody came on to me and says, I wonder will Jesus and his daddy show up because he hasn't turned up yet. Well, guess what? He actually did because he saved souls every night. Every night. They tell us that the worlds are going to fall apart and collide and there's going to be solar flares and we're all going to be overwhelmed with water again. No, we won't. No, we won't. No, we won't. You know why? Because the Lord has promised to never flood the earth again. And even Peter mentions it here and he says, yes, 
The waters, you're saying, from creation, sure, the Lord separated them. And you're scoffing that the Lord will come again? And things haven't changed? What about the slaughter of the Hebrew children? What about the slaughter of Israel in their wars and over 400 years, the slavery of them in Egypt? And what about the Philistines killing 34,000 of them in 1 Samuel 4? And what about the spiritual declension of Israel and the judges of Israel saying every man did that which was right in his own eyes? What about the great earthquake in the days of Isaiah recorded by Zechariah 14? And what about, the, what about the sun standing still in Joshua chapter 10? If everything remained the same and nothing great and good has happened, what about all of these things? And listen, brothers and sisters, do you know the biggest miracle ever to happen? You got saved by the grace of God. You got saved. We're chasing side, believing signs and wonders. So don't get me wrong. I've seen many and I believe in them. But the greatest miracle that ever happened was that a rotten, guilty, vile, hell-deserving sinner like Ken Davidson was saved by the grace of God through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so are you. That's the greatest miracle. The greatest miracle is that he can pick somebody like me up. Takes us up from the dunghill. And may set us among princes that we may inherit the throne of his glory. What a Christ. And so I'll finish here because I've enough to do two or three weeks, but I'll maybe do something on it next week, something different altogether. You don't need to turn to it, but you can read it. We all know the story, I hope. And the story is when the Lord Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. Of the Good Samaritan. And you know this man, he's beaten up and robbed. And, you know, the priest comes and walks on. The Levite comes, walks on. The Good Samaritan comes and pours in the oil and the wine, you know, to heal his wounds. And he sets him on his beast and he takes him to the inn. And in Luke chapter 10, the Good Samaritan gives the innkeeper two pence. Two pence. And he says... To the, to the innkeeper, whatsoever I owe you, I will repay you when I come back. Notice, anything over that, I'll give you what, I'll pay you what it's owed. Like two pence. When we go, for example, to uh, Matthew chapter 20, sorry, pardon me, Mark chapter 20, and you'll read it in verses 2 and verse 13, the laborers are hired for a penny a day. One penny a day. Okay? So it's a penny a day. The innkeeper is, receives two pennies from the Good Samaritan, who is the Lord Jesus here. Okay, a penny a day. The innkeeper receives two pennies. It's two days. Peter, in our reading, if you look at it, Second Peter chapter 3, and verse 9, he says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men concern. Pardon me, verse 8, be, But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a, a what? Will you shout it out? One day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. 
Now take note of this. If one day is a thousand years, two days is... That's not hard, sure it's not. That's not difficult. Two thousand years. A penny for a day. A penny for one thousand years. A penny for two thousand years. And the Samaritan says to the innkeeper, whatsoever I owe thee, when I come again, it's Christ. In the parable, he's Christ. He says, here's your two pence and whatever I owe you. In other words, I may be over the 2,000 years, but whenever I come again, I repay you what I owe you. I will repay you what I owe you. He's with me. He's get it. I will repay you. Now here's the thing, brothers and sisters. The Lord Jesus Christ is coming. And where's he coming to? The earth. He's coming to the sky, but he's coming to the earth. But where on the earth is he coming to? Zechariah tells us his feet shall stand upon the Mount of Olives. Some people say, oh no, he's coming to America to Washington. No, he's not. I've heard people saying he's coming to London. No, he's not. He's coming to Jerusalem. But listen, when he comes again, he's not coming to take sides. He's coming to take over. When he comes, he'll have a rod of iron in his hand to rule the nations. And he'll begin his millennial reign. A thousand years of peace. A thousand years of tranquility with him. Satan is bound, and at the end of it, he's released again. He tries his hardest to get an army up to fight against the Christ. But the Lord goes forward, and he is vanquished. And then we go into the eternity of eternities, living with Christ, which is far better. Now, here's here's what I'm asking you tonight. Are you saved? Are you saved? Surely if prophecy shows you that Christ comes the first time because he was prophesied off and the second time he's prophesied off and he comes again, are you ready? Are you saved? How do I get saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. How do I get saved? Come to the foot of the old rugged cross by faith, trusting that he's paid your debt in all of its fullness crying for mercy and repenting of your sin. And he says, him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. No wise cast you out. Imagine that man coming, the man bleeding and dying on the Jericho road. And he pours in the oil and he pours in the wine. He gets him up and he says, now listen, who was that man bleeding and dying on the Jericho road? You're looking at him. You're him. You're all him who's saved, and maybe you're still bleeding and dying and you're sinning on the Jericho Road. Listen, he's here tonight, that great Samaritan, as it were. He's coming tonight and he says, I'll pour in the oil and I'll pour in the wine. The oil of his spirit and the wine of his blood. Thank God for the blood of Jesus. He poured in the oil and the wine. The kind that restoreth my soul. He found me bleeding and dying on the Jericho road. And he poured in the oil and the wine. Oh yes, he poured in the 
did he find bleeding and dying in the Jericho Road in their sin? Beat up and battered and bruised and dirty and naked in their, in their sin and shame with the world in its system. He found me. I give my testimony in the hall on Friday night. I'm on the left. When I left, I thought, maybe I said too much. Maybe I told too much. Actually, Karen was there and I said to Karen tonight, I said, you still came back after hearing what I came from on Friday night. I said, you still here? Here's the thing, brothers and sisters, there's nobody he cannot save. There's nobody he can't reach. And there's none he'll turn away if you come to him. You may think, oh, I'm a deep-dyed sinner. Listen, if you had to be known Friday night, when I give him a testimony, and I had to leave, because I had to leave and run straight to the hospital to see our brother Davey, and I was late. And I was driving over, and actually I dropped Lloyd off home, and I flew on down to the hospital. And on the way down, the old devil was going, ah, you see, that's really you. See that man you were talking about? That's who you are. See that man, the, the drink and the drugs and the sin and the shame and the trouble and all the things with the, the arrests and the, with the police and all that sort of... He says, that's you. That's you. And see if you listen to him, your heart's in your boots. Oh. I hate it. I'm ashamed of it. I hate it. But suddenly you stir up your remembrance and you think to yourself, oh, bless you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that you would save our rotten rats like me. I don't get it. I don't understand it. But I'm grateful for it, that he would save somebody like me. And, and also, that he would allow me to bring his word. That he'd allow someone like me to stand behind a sacred desk and open the, open the, the sacred book. Find me bleeding and dying in the Jericho Road and maybe you're there tonight, so to speak, in your sin. Christian, can I ask you one more time? Who did he lift up from their sin and shame in the Jericho Road? Come on, don't be shy. All of us who are saved. Well then, let's sing that again and let's sing it like we mean it. Eh? Let's sing it again when rejoicing in our hearts. Sing it again unto God. Sing it. Listen, I don't care what your past as long as you're not a danger to yourself or somebody else. As long as you're not a danger to yourself or somebody else, I don't need to know. I'm not your priest. He is. He is.